This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by REI Co-op. Did you know that about half of all people who go outside, who hike trails and climb mountains and run rivers and sail oceans, are women and girls? That they make up more than half of the consumers of outdoor clothes and gear. There are girls and women outdoors always. I think where they're missing is in the media. Stacey Mulraney is the creative director behind a new REI effort called Force of Nature. They want to make the outdoors the largest level playing field on Earth. There are plenty of girls and women doing amazing, killer stuff outside, and it's not always documented, it's not always told. Stacy's got her own amazing killer stories. Like that time she decided to go fight forest fires. She just finished up her last semester of college in New York City. You know, I think my mom thought I had lost my mind. And yeah, I had, a, I had some shocked faces, but it just seemed like I wanted to do something that I'd never done before. And so I was on the road in a giant van that they call a crummy for four months. And that was, you know, you're working 12 to 16 hours a day and you're camping every night and you're hiking and you're cutting trail. Stacy was one of just a handful of women out there. When there's a great adventure story told, it's so often a guy and we are, we are turning a spotlight on women and the amazing stuff that they're doing because you can't be what you can't see. REI is showcasing new gear and launching new classes, new events, and new adventure travel programs designed for women by women. Check it out at REI.com slash force of nature. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. At Outside, the magazine does photo shoots with a lot of famous athletes. On beaches, climbing mountains, halfway up rock faces. But rarely do those athletes show up to a shoot with their own bugle. In fact, it's only happened once. Last month, when marathon swimmer Diana Nyad was on the cover. And let's be honest, that was reason enough to have her on the podcast. But then there's the swim around the island of Manhattan that made her famous. The memoir she wrote. The one-woman play she's trying to take to Broadway. Oh, and that time she broke the open water swim record with a 102-mile journey from Bimini in the Bahamas to North Juneau Beach in Florida. But what we really wanted to talk to her about is her obsession, her near-fatal five-decade obsession with swimming from Havana, Cuba to the Florida Keys. And we wanted to meet this incredible powerhouse of a person in her element. So we sent Double X Factor host Florence Williams to L.A. Just to note, Diana's a survivor of sexual abuse and talked about it. It's not graphic, but just take that into consideration. Here's Florence. So here I am at Diana Nyad's house, standing outside, and I, I'm amazed that she's not near the ocean. You would think Diana would just jump into the ocean and swim halfway to Hawaii every other day. But uh, no, she's sort of like out here in this, the middle of LA. And I don't even think she has a swimming pool. I'm sorry, I'm on a conference call. I didn't think you were coming till 10. So, uh, yeah, excusez-moi, mais j'entre la maison. Come on in. Yeah. A few minutes later, I'm getting a tour of her large Neo-Tuscan house. 
and I was right about the pool. I don't have a pool, and the only kind of pool I'd want is a long enough lap pool, not a, not a dipping pool where everybody comes over and brings their kids. Right. <laughs> no shallow end. No, I'm not looking for that at all. Yeah. And this is my gym. The gym takes up part of the garage. She's got weights in here, a physio ball, and a padded mat. This is where she tells me she does a thousand burpees at a time, at least once a week. It takes her almost three hours. You think the burpee is really... It's a full body exercise. It's the key. It works everything. She gives me a quick lesson. We'll do it next to each other. So get down with haunches really bent, spring back and get absolutely square. Yeah, that's good. Spring back in real It's a little bit humiliating. In case I haven't mentioned it, Diana's 67 years old. That's the one. Am I done? Yep, you're done. So imagine doing a thousand of those. When I finally get to stand again, I see a sign perched on the counter. It says in glowing red hot neon, persist. It's got to be your one-word motto. It's not the word I use. You know, I, I usually use the phrase never, ever give up and, um, and, and the value of tenacity. You know, I, I think when you, when you talk to most of the, you know, truly successful people from way back to Andrew Carnegie and Billie Jean King and Bill Gates, you know, they all say, of course, they have talent and maybe they have some luck. And they have mentors and, you know, connections and whatnot. But in the end, it's about tenacity. It's that tenacity that propelled Diana to keep attempting the swim that no one thought was possible. To cross the Florida Strait. To me and to a lot of people, it seemed nuts. How could someone keep going back again and again to that punishing journey? I kept just ending in physical misery and abject failure. The first time she attempted the epic 111-mile swim was in 1978. Diana was just 28 years old. You know, I, I was a maverick back in the 70s. That, that was just outrageous as a woman, especially. She used a shark cage, but it was brutal. A storm and strong currents knocked her off course. The cage kept banging into her. She puked her guts out. After almost two days, her support team had to drag her out of the water. Courage was not enough for marathon swimmers Diana Nyad in seas off Florida today. Fred Francis has more. Diana Nyad's marathon swim had been in trouble from the moment she left the coast of Cuba. Every one of her 42 hours in the water brought in... A year later, Diana actually retired from swimming. For 30 years, she stayed on dry land. She worked as a successful sportscaster, TV personality, and a radio journalist. ability of transgender Olympians got commentator Diana Nyad thinking. We, the human race, have lived most of our history in a binary universe, and I don't mean Democrat and Republican. From the moment a baby bump swells, the first question is, boy or girl? Yet we have worked hard over recent... But in 2010, her mother died. And facing her own mortality, Diana couldn't stop thinking about that old dream. Cue Cuba to Florida numero dos. Diana was now 60 years old. I'm curious about your motivations and how they may have shifted from when you first attempted the swim in your 20s in 1978 to doing it in your 60s. 
I don't think the motivations changed so much. Cuba meant something to me back then. It has since childhood. Um, uh, and and uh, and chasing a big dream. Um, that that's been my mo ever since I've been a kid. But what what changed was more evolving. You know, I I am. You are a different person. Yeah, aren't we all? You know, I am just. I'm in awe of of the privilege of living this life. I wasn't in awe at 28. I was a big ego, like, hey, get out of my way. I'm the big blah blah. I'm the great. Blah. And I I just don't think that way anymore. Anymore. I'm so humble. When I first started going after it, when I was 60, again, I, I was pretty sure that nobody except my my most intimate you know friends and family would care about it. Hmm. Um, it was for me. It was intensely personal. But as the attempts went on, and CNN was on the story, and the Washington Post was on the story, um, the, a, a public grew toward it. I think it's partly because I was in my 60s. It's partly, if I may say so, is that I was articulating, you know, the the mission and the quest in in a life sort of way that people could relate to. I want whatever journey I'm on to to evoke everything I am. And, and everybody around me the same, and that's what this swim is. And so it's not even about the destination so much, but I, I'm into the journey. One thing you mentioned in your memoir, Find a Way, is that in your 20s you swam angry. You were, you were propelled by rage, and that was totally different in your 60s. Yeah, and you know, I find all those statements, you know, n- nobody's black and white. Yeah. So it's a, it doesn't mean that every single stroke was filled with rage. It's not like that. It's just that I certainly, I, I was closer to the events of the sexual abuse of my childhood. And I did go through sexual abuse twice with a father and a coach. And um, I think in my 20s, I was still in that capsule of, of um, you know, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to put on a suit of armor and you can't penetrate it. You have been outspoken about the sexual abuse. And you did that, you know, before a lot of other athletes were coming forward, women athletes. I mean, you know, abuse by coaches, God, it's rampant, right? And people are talking about it now more. Did you feel like that was an important thing to do? Yeah, you know, first, I'll just say it was a selfish thing to do. I think that I recognize, I, I first told somebody at age 21, and it happened to be a young woman whom I didn't know when I told her, but she had been through the exact same thing with the same coach. So that was a shocking revelation to the two of us. So in the beginning, I think it was just important for me to lift the story from my soul and tell it out. It felt like it it lost power within my system. And then when I first told it in a public scenario, I realized, I remember, you know, let's say uh, 120 people, let's just pick a random number, lined up to come and say hello after. You know, sometimes people come up and they just want to uh, either get an autograph or get a picture or or um, tell you a little little of their story. Mostly people want to tell you about themselves, yeah. you know? Yeah. I remember thinking of the 120 people who came up quickly, I would say a good quarter of them, you know, would look at me meaningfully and say, I'm a survivor too. Wow. Or, you know, the same thing happened to me. It was a, it was a priest. It was a stepfather. It was a, a you know, it was, a, it was a stepmother. But, um, so, so I started recognizing that people needed to tell their stories. And, and in some ways, you know, the water was my safe place. So I wasn't always rageful. I was, I was 
I was so happy to be uh, away from any chance of being assaulted. You know, so there was a little vestige of that in my 20s as well. But certainly by my 60s, I've just lived so much life now. Mm. I'm just much more involved and more that person than I am the 20-year-old who's, you know, closer to those childhood events. That that just makes growing old sound so great. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that you can get to this place of sort of relief and of living in the moment more and of appreciating beauty. You seem to have really modeled that. Yeah, like I say, you know, I, you know, I don't pretend to be any age other than my age, 67. Every minute I would waste worrying that I've got lines or I've got, I've got some, you know, some flesh under the chin. I just have lost a minute of living in this 67 year old skin. You know, I want to be strong and agile. Frankly, I, I have an ego, an ego fantasy of becoming the first female Navy SEAL. You know, no, no woman's qualified yet to be a Navy SEAL. That would be really cool. It would be so cool. <laughs> so I don't know where that, but I just know at this age, I'm still feeling pretty physically vital. So at 60, Diana was softer. Yes, humbled, but clearly still tough as steel. To attempt the swim again, she'd have to overcome the powerful Gulf Stream that sucked her off course the first time, as well as the same threats from hypothermia, lightning storms, sharks. But now her body was 32 years older. What were you afraid of? Probably not making it. I don't think I was afraid of dying. There, there, there is that without hyperbole. There is that possibility out there. It's a vast ocean. Uh, you know, a 60 mile an hour wind blows up there within two minutes warning. If I'm blown away from the boat, because uh, I'm not going to get out, uh, will we ever find each other again? You know, we have flares and things, but all kinds of things can happen as, as smart as our team was. On that second attempt, in August of 2011, Diana swam for 29 hours before crazy strong currents started drifting her toward Texas. And then on top of that, she suffered an asthma attack. It was Quitsville. Six weeks later, in September, came attempt number three. The weather was glorious. The seas were eerily calm. These were the conditions she'd been waiting for. But just a few hours in, she met an entirely new menace. Box jellyfish, the most poisonous on the planet. Thanks to climate change, they had moved north into the Florida Strait. The jellies rise like bubbles out of the deep. They feed when the sun goes down, and their deadly tentacles are searching out protein. Diana found out in the worst way. I wouldn't wish it, honestly. Even on the two men who abused me, I wouldn't wish that pain. That's, uh, that's otherworldly. It was the stuff of science fiction. I felt that my entire body had been dipped and held down in hot, burning, waxed oil. I was, I was, I was on fire, and my spinal cord went into paralysis. I felt it down the back at first, and then down the front here, and I was just, you know, writhing and trying to hold on. You're in anaphylactic shock, so your breath goes down to very few a minute. You're, you are truly, your whole system, but your nervous system especially, is, is under siege. And I don't think there's a good, um, you know, medical, empirical uh, explanation as to why I lived. 95% of the people who have ever been touched by that tentacle, just touched, and I had them wrapped around the neck, the biceps, down the forearms, 
die instantaneously. Wow. Dr. Angel Yanagihara, who was on our team after that, is, is considered the leading expert in the box in the world. She's at University of Hawaii. Um, she said, honestly, uh, you, you, you couldn't have survived it. You couldn't have, you shouldn't have. And you, we, had, we had the medical team on board. They were giving me oxygen masks, EpiPen, injections of adrenaline. And she said, all that can help. But the truth is, I do believe you lived because of will. This was strike three. Diana's team was burned out, even traumatized after watching her nearly succumb. But all the doubters just made her more determined. I still wanted to probe where that deep stubbornness came from. I mean, Diana seems almost congenitally contrarian, and she admits it. You once described being able to relate to Steve Jobs because he's a rule breaker. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is it different for being a woman? Yeah, I guess. I, I just, um, I've always been anti-establishment. You know, my father was a, was a very, uh, you know, separate the genders kind of person. And, you know, would, so, and one day he sort of patted me on the fanny and said, go in the kitchen. You know, your brother and I are going to play chess. Like, that's important. That's a brainiac thing to do. And you, you girls go in the kitchen and make our dinner. I went in the kitchen, made a big wet salad, <laughs> like the wettest one you can make, and came out and dumped the salad on my father's lap. Even and I got then, a whipping. Wow. Yeah, but, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm not big on uh, being dictated to. And Steve Jobs, you know, he just didn't believe in laws and rules. And uh, I realize there are laws of the universe, you know. You have to breathe air. You have to, you know. So I'm on those, but there are very few man-made laws. You know, as a matter of fact, if I stop at a red light at night, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I've looked very carefully, even looked to think that maybe somebody doesn't have headlights on that are coming, I'm not going to sit at that red light for five minutes till it changes. I'm going through it. You know, who made that law? <laughs> you know, it's got to be somebody that I don't have a lot of regard for. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I won't be driving with you. <laughs> yeah. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> so Diana wasn't finished. In August of 2012, she set out on her fourth attempt to make the crossing. The night before leaving, I couldn't sleep. I was nervous. I was a little scared. Um, I went to an all-night CVS drugstore in Key West. I was just roaming the streets. And there was only one other guy in the store, he was Cuban. So he knew of me and my story. And we got chatting up at the front at the counter. And he said, my God, your, your heart is standing in your throat. Does this really mean so much to you? And I said, it does. It's become a sort of an emblem. If, I, if I'm only gonna live for another 20 or 25 years, let's just say on average, um, I wanna live it to the nth degree. And a lot of people are looking to me now, I said to him. The Cuban man listened, and then he took his wallet out of his back pocket. And he had a $2 bill in the, wa in the wallet. It was folded. And he said, you know, the night we left Cuba, he said, I was seven. I was the youngest in the family. We came down to the shore, and it was a heavy wind. I looked at the half-inflated raft, and I thought, oh, we, we won't even make it past the breakers, much less across this hundred miles of dangerous ocean. I was scared to death. We already, they call it the Cuban graveyard. I already lost family members. We had friends who left and they never made it over. And uh, my grandmother came down last. I was her favorite, he said. She pulled me over to the side and she said, 
An American gave me this $2 bill once. They say it means good luck over there. We're gonna zip it in your pocket. It's gonna help you make survive this treacherous crossing. It's gonna help you make a new life in America. And you and I may never see each other again. But what you have to do is one day, you have to hold on to this and when it means something, give it to somebody who could really use some good luck. Wow. He gave it to me. Wow. That's a great story. And and I guess for you too, when you when you make that journey from Cuba, that history, you know, of the island, of the people, I mean, you you are aware of all that. You're thinking about it. I, I, feel, I feel it deeply. And I grew yeah. up down there. So yeah. I was in Fort Lauderdale when the revolution, I was nine years old, literally overnight, literally, because that's how they had 24 hours to leave. Our, our town was flooded with Cubans. All of a sudden we were eating empanadas and, and dancing the salsa and flying the Cuban flag. I mean, we became a little Havana, you know, in my hometown. And, um, I, it's, it's a beautiful island, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a forbidden land right off our shores. It has been for so long. So for me, there's no more vibrant ocean crossing in this modern era of history than Cuba and Florida. Despite the $2 bill, Diana's luck only went so far. On that fourth attempt, she swam for 51 hours. She faced the trifecta from hell, circling sharks and a lightning storm, and again, the infernal jellies who stung her face and mouth. Oh, yeah! Fire! Fire! Oh, yeah, she's got it all over her. It just touched me, When her team pulled her out, she was still 50 miles from Florida. You know, when I was on that boat going back after that time, looking out at that raging sea, John Bartlett, he came and, you know, knelt down next to me. I was on the back, just kind of, kind of deflated. And he said, you know, it's just the chances, I, I used to put this at about 2%. Now I've gone down to close to zero. There, there, there's a lot against you. The chances are slim. What did it feel like for you to hear him say that? I, uh, I, I, I did feel flattened out about it, but Bonnie came over after John went up and went, went back to the other part of the boat, and she said, let's not talk about it now. You're, you're, you're beat up. Um, let's, you know, let's give it a couple of days. She still wasn't ready to quit. That winter, Diana worked with engineers to make a jellyfish-proof bodysuit and a full silicone face mask. In early September, she left Havana Harbor on her fifth attempt. This time, Diana swam through those nighttime jellies. She swam through sunrises and sunsets, the black of night, when her team could only see her by this little red light on her swim cap. It's hard to convey the level of sensory deprivation she was experiencing. She couldn't hear, she couldn't see anything, she just kept singing herself a playlist of Bob Dylan and Janis Joplin. You know, even if we were to sit in these chairs here under very little duress and you had water to drink, so your body's not suffering, but if you and I were to sit in these chairs for 53 hours and not go to sleep, you know, and not talk to each other, just sit here, um, you'd find it hard after a while to keep in the concrete world, to think about, I got, okay, I'm gonna talk to my kids later, and I'm, I'm gonna catch the flight tomorrow at 8 a.m., so I'm gonna get up and so You wouldn't be in that place for very long at all. The brain can't. So pretty quickly that right brain starts 
dreaming and 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 you know visions of your childhood start wafting around in your brain and and uh, and illogical sort of sequences start popping up and, and you, you would know, have hallucinations oh yeah you know often when I come to the side of the boat at night in the day it's easier but at night a couple of times I'd go over my back and I I see these giant um, you know they take up the whole sort of hemisphere like northern pines like you know giant trunks and boughs and you know you're um something happens within the brain that's connected with the with the eyes uh so it has something to do with the optic nerve and the and the uh and the brain being having sleep deprivation that we start seeing structures you know i find that fascinating it's frankly something i miss about the sport diana swam for 53 hours until finally on september 2nd 2013 her foot connected with sand. She'd made it to the Florida Keys. We should never, ever give up. You're never too old to chase your dreams. I'd love you to walk me through this moment when you actually land at Key West. You've tried the swim four times, didn't make it. It's your fifth time. You're literally crawling onto the beach. What is going through your head? The truth is, I don't remember it much, and I, I don't, I don't (laughs) tend to remember that moment, the moment of triumph, as much as I remember the whole journey. That's honestly what I remember. When I flash back, I think of the training hours. I think of going to a pool and swimming for 12 hours. So I remember all that more. I can remember that moment coming up on the beach. You know what? One thing I remember was deafening. Um, those people, there were several thousand people who would come. And you know, I remember it as being a roar. And I remember seeing people weeping. They weren't crying. They were weeping. And I realized what it was, was they weren't in awe of what I had done. They were feeling the spirit of never, ever give up. This is the proof of it. If you just don't give up, one day you're going to get there. That was Double X Factor host Florence Williams talking to Diana Nyad at her home in LA. This piece was produced by Phoebe Flanagan with sound design by Robbie Carver. We also use sounds from the documentary The Other Shore. If you want to learn more about Diana's crossing of the Florida Strait, it's a great place to start. You can find it on Amazon and iTunes. Thanks again to the REI Co-op for supporting Double X Factor. Find out more about how REI is putting women front and center this year at REI.com slash force of nature. We also want to thank our friends at Reveal for supporting the show. Reveal is a project from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, and it takes us into a hidden world or exposes a problem that most people know nothing about. Their reporters spend weeks, sometimes months or years, getting to the bottom of a story. Recently, they've been looking at tactics used by police during arrests at Russia, and their most recent piece looks at what took place at Standing Rock last winter, and some of the unexpected benefits of having a movement form on tribal land. Check it out. 
You can find Reveal on your local public radio station or on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you download podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks.